Welcome to the Finding Backcountry Podcast with your host, Dustin Whitwer. I am Dustin Whitwer, and this is the Finding Backcountry Podcast. Follow along on my journey of learning from the best backcountry hunters each week as we explore valuable information I use to find success in the backcountry. Let's get to the show. All right, everybody. Welcome back. The long-awaited mystery episode of the Finding Backcountry podcast. <laughs> it's uh, This is the podcast that keeps you guessing because you have no idea when one's coming and when it's not coming, but... Um, man, I used to get on here and, uh, try and tell people that I was going to, or wasn't going to do episodes and I'm going to be more religious about putting out episodes and anymore. I'm just, this, here's an episode and that's it. (laughs) So, um, got a, got just jumping right into it. I mean, there's, there's been so much stuff over the last, um, you know, couple few months man i was actually looking at the last episode i did it was like in november <laughs> of 20 uh 2020 but you know there's been quite a few little things nothing i don't think anything crazy and maybe one of these days i'll jump on here with my brother and you know just recap uh anything that we missed from last year and anything that's happened since but for now i've got uh i think a like-minded guy you know that's one thing i like about these podcasts is it just gives me an excuse to reach out to guys that, or girls, um, you know, individuals that seem like they have similar interests and, and take it, you know, one step further than just stalking them on Instagram and kind of, you become friends with a lot of people and, you know, grow your network and stuff like that. So, um, I think Travis, I think you're one of those guys, man. So welcome to the podcast. Well, hey, thanks for having me, man. I'm excited. It'll be yeah. fun. So, yeah, it's always good to talk hunting. So, for the for those that didn't see the uh, the or read the story or haven't listened to you on a podcast, the the famous Travis Hobbs, in 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 my mind, you will always be the guy that just killed that gnarly buck. I think up here in Wyoming, yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah. yeah, That was uh, that was an awesome one, man. So, there's just yeah. certain cover photos that. Etch, just burn into your mind you know and that was just that was just one of them but <laughs> dude we'll... that was a pretty lucky deal man i'm the worst <laughs> photographer there ever was <laughs> to have that all set up on a tripod and like i remember when i saw that it would like i was going through everything and i saw that picture i was like holy shit that turned out pretty cool and <laughs> and then uh you know as it went down freaking i got a phone call from uh east moons and like, hey, we want that story. And I'm like, yeah, cool. And I, I was pretty stoked to get on the cover, man. I've been reading that magazine since I was a little kid, so that was pretty yeah. cool. Yeah, it's it's uh man, I, I want to jump into kind of who you are and where you grew up, but just real quick, it's crazy how um oh, and the other thing, man, you gotta watch your language on this podcast. Did I not mention that? <laughs> Did I swear already? <laughs> I could have swore already. I'm not here's, really good, but I'll do my best. Well, here's here's my here's my story on that. I I didn't like. It, let me be honest with everyone. I there, 
my grandpa swears. Both of my grandpas swore, like not like sailors, but they just they could they could throw out a cuss word. Grandpa Whitworth, <laughs> yeah. Grandpa Bamro. Uh, my dad has been known to throw some around from time to time. I I am around it, right? And I I swear, I use swear words from time to time. I didn't think anything of it, and then all of a sudden, <clears throat> one episode. Someone had written in, this is early on, you know, episode like eight or 10 or something like that. <laughs> someone wrote, wrote in or someone commented on the thing. And they're like, oh, I sure love your podcast because it's the only one that I don't have to worry about listening to with my kids because there's no swords. I'm like, oh, no, no. <laughs> well, that's kind <laughs> no. of a good thing, though. Yeah, it was a good – and it, it's been it – keeps, it keeps me in check. And I've, I've got a kid that edits, and he takes them out if I have to. But No, no just, that's awesome. I'm just giving you a hard time more than anything. I'll do a good job, I promise. I'll, <laughs> yeah. try, I'll try my best. P's and Q's, pretend we're in church. Yeah, for sure. No, no, it's all good, man. Um, oh, what? The, oh, yeah. So real quick on that buck. Um, I was just, I was thinking last, or tonight, actually, while I was running, just how much has changed since you and I, I, I feel like we're about the same age, huh? Maybe, uh, what are you? 30, yeah, I'm 30, 30, I'm 34. So, yeah. Same, same. Yep. I'll, unfortunately, I'll be 35 at the end of this month, but. Yeah, um, I'm coming right up too. So yeah, yeah. we're really we are the same age. Same I'm exact April, age. Of April. So man, when we even when we were kids, it was like Eastman's. That's it. Yeah, like it's changed a lot. Th- th- there were other exactly. magazines, but as far as like Western, like you know, extreme, like out, you know, DIY Western stuff, like that was it for the most part, as far as I for knew. Sure. But, for sure, man. That really, like, I yeah, that was that was the yeah. thing. Yeah, so to get the cover, you know, with them, like that's just that's that's cool, man. I, I actually, you know, side side story here or whatever rabbit hole, but I live up here around those guys, and I see uh, Scott and Guy and those guys around town from time to time and stuff like that. So, um, yeah, it's it's just cool. It's a uh, man. It's just it's impressive. You know, it's good for you for getting that cover. That was a cool buck, and maybe you can finish off this deal with that story or something at the end yeah we can talk about that for yeah. sure yeah um utah number it looks like are you are you a utah guy or do you what, yeah what? so no the funny thing is man is i grew up in a i grew up in a little town like way up north in cash valley so i grew up in a little town there i think when i lived when i grew up there i think there was 300 people in that town and man has it changed a lot <laughs> um i hit high school and i I moved or I got out of high school and I moved uh, to Bear Lake like right away. So I moved up and then I've lived in Idaho for a while now, um, moved to the Idaho side. And yeah, I've been there for quite a while. But like growing up in Cache Valley, it was an awesome place. It was way different than it is now, man. It's changed a bunch. I had a perfect childhood growing up like I'm right next to uh, there was a canyon basically in my backyard out a river not very far. So it was fishing on and um, running around, 22s, shotguns, <laughs> all that stuff. Yeah. Just tearing it up, being a kind of a wild kid. My parents, I look back and like they were awesome, man. They, we didn't really have a whole lot of rules. Like, <laughs> drop me off. My dad would drop me off on the river, would fish all day. Yeah. It was just a perfect place to grow up, man. It's changed a lot. Like, I look back and think, 
man, I don't know if I, I don't have any kids, but if I did, I don't know if I would let them do quite what I did when I was a kid, but it was all good, man. It was awesome growing up that way. Well, and the, the cliche thing to say here is like kids nowadays don't even want to do that. Like, you know, it's the, I don't know, maybe, but yeah, like same different. thing, man. Like, you know, whether it was, uh, like you said, dropping us off at the river, um, all day, you know, fishing at the river, walking up and down the river, uh, out jumping, jumping our bikes or whatever, when we were real young kids, uh, out shooting rabbits or whatever. And not that kids don't get out and get into trouble and stuff like that nowadays, but you know, we just, we didn't have cell phones. I wasn't even allowed to have a gaming system or anything like that. And so that's how it was for me, man. My parents, and at the time, I used to think they were the biggest jerk ever. <laughs> Dude, I want to give my dad a high five every time I see him and think yeah. about that. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. that was a good, a good way to be. You know, I didn't mind it until, until all of a sudden I came home from college one day. And my brother's six years younger than me. So, he, you know, I was towards the end of my college uh, years. And he was, you know, I don't know, junior, sophomore, junior, senior, whatever he was. And they bought that sucker of whatever, a PlayStation or whatever. I'm like, and he's up, he's up playing at like two in the morning. Like I came in, you know, I'm like, I'm, you know, I'm a, I'm an adult at that point. I'm out doing whatever I want. I was just visiting or something. So I'm out with friends, you know, all over the night. Come home. It's like one in the morning and he's up playing his PlayStation. I'm like, first of all, like, what the heck is this? Like, I never had this. And I would have been in so much trouble for not being in bed by now. Like what? the? It was anyway yeah dude it's changed a lot like it's wild yeah i i watched it we're just side tangent like crazy here but i i instantly know that you and i are not gonna have a problem filling up this podcast Um, (laughs) yeah no (laughs) No, you get me going i'll freaking talk all night yeah yeah you might have to cut me off no and i (laughs) I should get back into the hunting side of it there's so many things that i could go off on this is what happens when i don't do an episode for whatever it's been four or five months so yeah, um, for sure. Yeah, are you uh so like are you you're a diehard mule deer guy? I mean I, I scroll through your page, like I've seen you hunting elk, obviously, and maybe you're kinda like me and yeah, dabble in everything. A, yeah, like so I'm really I would say for sure, like elk just don't do it for me, man. I <laughs> I like to hunt them and it's not that I but I I guess well, as a kid and you grow up, the interesting thing about Utah is when you grow up in Utah, elk hunting, for me when I was a kid, there really wasn't a lot of elk. When I was super young, elk were kind of, they were weird. Like, it was a special thing. If somebody shot a 300-inch bull, that was, like, unbelievable. There was people, I mean, that was a big deal. And it's it's so much different now because Utah kind of has the mindset with elk is it's a trophy. Well, you know, you, you know, I don't have to tell you, but it's just, it's a whole different thing and you could always get a deer tag. And so I guess I really got onto that as at a young age, I started, oh, I was archery hunting at, let's see, I think the legal age was 14 years old. And I think I killed, man, I killed a buck every year until I think I was 18 with a bow. Like I just jumped right into archery hunting and that was like my theme. And I was kind of big into snowmobiling and that kind of thing when I was in high school. I did a little racing, that kind of thing. And it's funny because I really looked at, and I loved to waterfowl hunt. That was the other thing. So I kind of wanted to get 
deer hunting out of the way. That's what's so funny about me is like when I was in high school, it was all about waterfowl, snowmobiling, and archery hunting was just like, I just did it. And I loved it. And I mean, I did it, but there was no deer safe. Like I shot first thing with antlers <laughs> and I wouldn't change it looking back, man. Like it taught yeah. me a lot. And I got really, I mean, I was pretty handy with a bow when I was a kid and I did it a lot. And it was kind of weird. My dad was a archery hunter. He bow hunted. And that was kind of, the weird thing is back then that wasn't that common. It really wasn't that common to be a bow hunter. And then right. like my uncles, I had, a, you know, cousins who were older and we pretty big bow hunting family really for a long time. I miss, so, I miss that feeling, man. Like, cause I know exactly what you're talking about. My dad was like kind of dabbled in it when I was real young and I, I still remember and he kind of got me into it when I was young too, 16, 17. And I still remember like the feeling that you would get when you walked into those like nitty gritty, grungy archery shops back in the day. Yeah. Right. And they still exist, but it's just different. Cause let's face it, like bow hunting's cool now. Right. I mean, every, yeah, for like sure. people are like, you know, they get religious about it. Not that they weren't religious about it back then, but it's like, everybody bow hunts you know like it's kind even, of trendy almost yeah it's trendy you know and it's like <laughs> yeah. i don't know you just don't get that feel like like this is i don't know maybe that's why i got into like traditional uh for a minute there is i like that just i don't know what it is but just man yeah i miss that man about like that's how it was for me growing up a little bit no that's awesome man that's funny because like yeah and it wasn't a super popular thing like really and i think it was so you would have probably remembered this and you grew up in Utah, right? Dustin, uh, Southern Nevada. We're right. Nevada. Yeah. That's we're right. right. I mean, we're, we're like right in the middle of, of everything, you know, hour from Vegas. Okay. 30 gotcha. minutes from St. George. Gotcha. Yeah. yeah. And like the weird thing was in Utah is, uh, where's I going with that? Oh, archery hunting. Like it just wasn't super popular. And I think it was about when I was, I want to say maybe when I was six, maybe 17, Utah kind of changed some things that they let youth hunt all three seasons. It might even have been when I was younger, but they started letting youth hunt. So basically you could hunt a you, a kid yeah. could hunt with a bow and then he could go to a muzzleloader and then to a rifle. And I really think that changed the game when I was lit, like 14, 15, even younger than that, hanging out with my dad and stuff. We, you would go archery hunting. You would be the only person. You would never see another hunter ever. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, we're only talking. That's like early two thousands. Like, and it's changed that much. It's such an interesting. I don't know. It's it's unbelievable to me. It's super surprising, and it's just changed a lot. You'd yeah. see some guys hunting elk, you know, once in a while maybe sitting but dude nothing like it is anymore it's just changed a lot archery hunting's changed a lot it's really different you uh obviously you, you killed that wyoming buck with a rifle you kind of an opportunist now or do you have do you do you still bow hunt oh yeah man i do everything man i i would never like i would never paint myself in a corner and just pick one weapon i that's the craziest thing on earth to me is like i want to hunt as much as possible and i'm like man give me any weapon i love to hunt with a muzzleloader rifle man i love hunting with a rifle and i still love bow hunting so like it's all good with me like i'm a big fan of all of it and i dabble in all of it try to get probably too carried away you know sometimes i mean yeah it's kind of wild i learned that the hard way because i was i was like you know 
grew up rifle hunting, but like I said, my dad was still kind of dabbling with it. And so I, I kind of got into it, um, you know, towards the end of high school there and bow hunted a little bit. First to college, I was kind of bow hunting pretty serious. And then for like eight, I don't know what it was, eight, I want to say eight or 10 years, maybe, um, I may, maybe not that long, seven or eight years, I was just strictly bow hunting. And I was the guy, man, I was like, bow hunting. Like, if you don't bow hunt, like, <laughs> you're not hunting, rifle yeah. hunting. And the irony now, who I work for and stuff. But no, that's, that's the mentality that, or that's the thing that finally got me as I was like, all of a sudden I had an epiphany and I'm like, well, wait a minute. Like, here's the, I'm looking, doing this research because I, you know, I was getting into it and I'm researching all these different states and I'm like, you know, whatever, let's take a state like Colorado. Maybe I was like, well, hold on. Like there's only so many days that you're allowed to bow hunt in these states. And they're almost always, you know, end of August versus September. And then it's like, I see all these other guys and they all just keep hunting and keep hunting and keep hunting. And they're hunting all the way into October, November. And I'm like, Yep. Well, is it really bow hunting that I'm after or is it, you know, and for me at the time and still today, it's really like the back country or the remoteness or the, you know, I really don't, I don't care what weapon. I don't love like those, those low, uh, late season, um, you know, but I'll, I'll do them. Don't, don't get me wrong. Yeah, but that, that's, sure. what, that's what I live for. And so it was like well, hold on. Like, do I really give a crap that it's with a bow or not? Well, no, like I just want and opportunities. We're start about that time. We're just starting to get felt like we're getting squeezed a little bit. Um, you know, it was getting harder to get some of these tags and stuff like that. And so, yeah, man, I, I, I was that guy. I was like, Oh, bow hunting, you know, and if you don't, then shame on you. <laughs> and, uh, I learned my lesson because I think there's a lot of years there where, you know, I was only hunting one state anyway, but it's like, I didn't, I just didn't even think about, Oh, I could just pick up a muzzleloader or a rifle and go to yeah. these other states like I do now. So. No, it makes it so much better. And man, when you're, and like, for me, like hunting and like, and I'm a really, and I mean, I am, I'm a tro. I would say I'm like, I'm, a pr- I'm proud. I'm proud to be a trophy hunter. I really am. And I, I really do. I mean, I want to hunt the biggest and the best mule deer possible. And like, I'm going to take, I'll be, any tag I can get my hands on, man, and I love it. I really do. I love diving into it. And man, I'm different. I really like hunting general season stuff. And a lot of people think that's kind of crazy, but man, I love just getting out there and getting after like this hard-earned bucks. Like I really love it. Like the general season, over the counter. Like I love to go back to places multiple times. And so you start mixing that up in some of these states and man, you can still do it. It's getting harder and harder every year that goes by, but if you'll switch it up and hunt with different weapons, it makes it so much easier. It's just like painting yourself in the corner of like, I'm only going to be a bow hunter. I'm only going to be a rifle hunter. I just feel like you're, you're just limiting yourself a lot and like the different things you can learn and the behavior and how they change, you know? And I, I said it for a long time, the best way to kill a big mule deer in my opinion is probably with a bow and guys argue and like don't believe me but it's so much easier to hunt them in the velvet to me i've had so much more success doing that and you know you start getting into that you know that after october 5th 6th and you know hunt them up till maybe like the towards the end that's the toughest time on earth to kill a big buck like it's i mean it's tough so it's just kind of funny and everybody's got their I don't know. It's just funny. I just, I just like to do it all. And man, I hate turning anything down. 
Yeah. Um, a couple things, you know, if you're, if, if, if you're just diehard bow hunter, then, and that's what gets you going, then do it. You know, it's not, yeah, you know, it's, sure. it's whatever, but, um, so when you, um, you mentioned trophy hunting, I'm all for it. Right. I, I think my disclaimer on that, um, is we're all in a transition. We're, we're just constantly changing what we're after and who we are you know, there, there's, there's maybe some guys that come out of the gate, uh, and just that's it. You know, they come out of the gate and they decide they're going to, whatever they're holding out for a 180. I think that's the wrong, especially for youth hunters. I think that's the wrong, my personal. Oh, absolutely, man. I couldn't agree more with yeah. you on that. Yeah. Yeah. You know, uh, I was just listening to Epic, those guys, they were talking about New Mexico and they brought up the, um, the New Mexico youth tags and they, they literally hold the best uh tags in the best unit during the best time right it's like it's like the 2b yeah. 2c or whatever down there by the yeah. hickoria and they let them hunt them towards the end of november with a rifle probably and these kids you know they're joking about how these kids are out there passing up you know this buck and that buck because he's just a slick four and that one he wants one with cheaters on both sides and it's like man at <laughs> some point like that's just going to ruin, it's not going to ruin a kid. And you know, there's no right, there's no right mold here of like how a hunter has to be, but man, like I just flat out, I just don't think kids should have those type of opportunities handed to them, like get them opportunity, you know, but not necessarily like the best units in the best area and the best time of the year or whatever, because I don't know, man, just we, a lot of us went through that transition of, Okay, you know, tip over the first thing that's legal. Okay, tip over a three-point. Okay, tip over a couple three-points. Okay, tip over the first, oh, I want a four-point this year. And then, you know, and you, and you grow and you grow and your goals change and stuff like that. And and not that one's right or wrong, but you just can't argue with the experience. And it's so hard if you just come out of the gate as like, oh, I'm going to kill 180 or bust, right? It's like, geez, you know, a guy like you and me, like how many tags do we, do you eat in a, in a 10 year period? If you're, if that's your goal. For sure, man. Like right. kids, if I could give kids one piece of advice, like especially young kids and I like have kids message me and ask me, you know, like, Hey, I'm trying to kill this buck. And I'm like, guys, like if you haven't, like the only way, the only way you get good at killing stuff is you got to kill stuff. And it really does like make a big difference. Like if you're a nothing against a new oncoming hunter that wants to kill a big buck, but like, I really think you got to get good at the whole process. And I'm talking, and if you're, you know, 35, 40 years old holding out for a 180 and you don't even know how to quarter out a buck or, <laughs> you know, like the first thing, man, you're going about it wrong. Like there is a process and I think you got to go through it, man. I don't shame anybody. Like if somebody wants to shoot a two point, like I, it doesn't bother me and kids, man, I think they should shoot often. They should try to fill every tag and they should get good at it. And it just makes them better hunters in the long run. Yeah. Just funny. Yeah. It's interesting, man. How, things have changed and i'm talking to guys that you know have only killed you know one or two bucks and they're live and they're like holding out for this 180 plus buck and i'm like guys that's a 
I don't know. You just get way better when you kind of go through the process. I think that's the best way. And then it just means more to you too, when you understand how tough it is and how hard it is. And I don't know, it just means more to you. Yeah. And you know, the punchline there is what is your, where's your motive coming from for that? If, for if sure. it, right. If, if you've been doing this for 10 years and you've killed a few bucks and it's like, no, I don't like, there's no right answer. It's not like you have to do it. Sure. Like it doesn't have to be a two point and then a three point and then a small four and then a little bit bigger four and then a one sixty and a one seventy and one, like wherever you're at the, the punchline is as long as it's not because your friend or your social media uh, followers, you know, or whatever, you saw them tipping over a certain size buck or whatever. Um, because that, that's the risk that we're running today is people have a skewed, um, motive, right? Absolutely. They're getting fed, you know, they're getting fed, not, not just the cover of Eastman's with Travis's buck, but you know, (laughs) (laughs) right. That that's, those were almost, you know, that back in the day to me was almost just untouchable. It was, it was just kind of surreal. You know, when you'd see the yeah. the cover buck, it was like, well, I don't even know that guy and you don't really, but yep. nowadays it's like, you know, and, and you might, and you only see what 12 of those a year, if you were subscribed yep. to one magazine. Well, now it's like, I mean, I probably saw, I probably saw a dozen, you know, 200 inch bucks today on my Instagram feed from guys had killed throughout the years that they're posting a flashback Friday or whatever. Like, yeah, for sure. It's just such a different, you know, process that we're going through in our minds. And so just, just check your motivations. I think, but I think you're absolutely right, man. And the whole thing is too, is like, do what makes you happy too. Like that's the, I, I don't know. That's a big thing. And like, if you're excited about shooting a buck, like there's no shame in that. Who cares what everybody thinks? Like I'm going to, I'm going to hunt the way I hunt. No, like if Instagram's gone, I could care less. Like, honestly, if it was gone tomorrow, I could care less. I like to see everybody's pictures. I like to see all that stuff. But man, back in the day, it was still, you know what I mean? It's just, it's changed. And I feel like a lot of kids, they do get kind of a warped view that like, you know, and some of them bucks you see on Instagram, man, if there was, we really get into the nitty gritty of it. How many of them come from, you know, a high fence ranch in <laughs> Mexico, you know, or maybe it's a, you know, some of these guys, they get pretty good with wide angle lenses and yeah, man, <laughs> I've been to the, you go to the hunt expo and you look at some of these outfitters that have posted these bucks and man, that picture looks like it's a 220, 230 inch buck. And man, when you see it in real life, you really look at a legitimate Boone and Crockett, something that's been scored. It's a big difference. Yeah, so yeah. some kids, I just, I don't get too wrapped up in it. I guess at the end of the day, I wish, I wish everybody just have fun and yeah. get after and do it for the right reasons and not just for a picture on the Instagram that everybody's going to like. So, so let's, let, let's all that being said, let's assume a guy is after a quote unquote trophy buck, which to me, you're just crossing, there's no right number or answer, but let's say you're crossing that threshold of like getting into the boot and crock at 180 plus. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, when you, when you mentioned, you talked about hunting general units over the counter type units. Um, are you, there's, there's still gotta be, do you still put some emphasis on units places that you feel hold big bucks obviously 
or is yeah. there is there a rhyme or reason to those? Because there's there's some over the counter tags that just they're just not there's probably not a two hundred inch buck in the unit, right? Um, and yet there's some over the counter slash general season tags. How, how do you differentiate between those that you're going to actually hunt or go after? Well, man, and so that's a great point. And so I look at it. I truthfully believe, and I, I and I know this isn't necessarily true, but I truthfully believe there's a giant in every unit. Like, and when I say a giant, I, I think, I think along the lines of like Boone and Crockett, that's kind of my threshold. Like I will shoot, I have tipped over like dude, 190 inch buck. This guy, I can't pass one, man. If it's a typical and it's legitimate 190 inch buck, it'd be really, I'd have to know about a really big buck. But when I look at it, I think, I think the hardest thing is, is you got units with bad genetics and that is no doubt and units that are over hunted and that's really but i think in there there's always an older buck or like a special buck and like there is nothing wrong with i mean man i see something with pop can mass and short points you know and a unit it's like an old buck yeah dude i mean that's a big buck to me too so um but i really think when you're looking at general season stuff a lot of people think you just can't get it done and it's impossible. And I really, I guess I'm in the camp that it is possible. And with enough effort and enough time that a guy can really pull out a great, a great buck out of almost anywhere. And I, I really think almost anywhere, given the fact, I mean, and obviously there are some units that are going to be really tough, but I really think, uh, I just, that's just kind of how I hunt and that's my mindset. And yeah, I get whooped a lot, man. It happens a lot. Like I go through mm-hmm. a lot of tags and I can't find them, but I guess that's kind of my mindset when I go into it. I'm very, very optimistic, very optimistic. Well, and e- either way, I think the important thing, almost the, the flip side of that, of that mentality to understand and the valuable thing for guys is the misconception for sure is that big bucks only come from limited entry premium 10 15 20 point draw units right yeah and 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 the trap there and the problem with that is guys pass up zero point one point over the counter opportunity hunts whether it's you know crap dates in like you said october middle of october or low density areas or high density areas where they give out a bunch of tags or something like that. And guys are just shooting for the stars. Well, two things wrong with that. A, it takes forever to draw. And then B, if you actually do draw this, 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 I call the, the Utah elk tag syndrome. Right. And just because I'm kind of from that area a little bit. And I know a lot of, you know, a lot of people and a lot of guys that have a lot of points um, and they, they, they will build points for elk and everything for that matter. But I, I just know a bunch of examples of guys with elk points. So that's what I'm using. They'll build elk points for 20 years and not even hunt elk. Dude, they I'm might... one of them. I got <laughs> don't 20, do it. <laughs> I think I got 23 elk points in Utah. Well, and elk... honestly, I don't even want to burn them because I'm like, Oh, I've been waiting so long. I feel like, you know what yeah, I need? Yeah, but but here's <laughs> here's what I bet is, you know, well, first of all, I don't think you're an elk guy, so it's not your priority. Nope. And so that's the thing. Right. 
if if that was a mule, if if we were using that as mule deer, let's let's say that you were in Utah and you had twenty three limited entry deer points and you were holding out for the Henrys, right? Yep. What I would bet, and the point that I'm making is, you would have and you've been hunting deer somewhere on over the counter one point zero point easy to draw tags every single year, probably multiple tags every year building up to that, right? Yep. Right. And that's the problem that guys fall into, I think, is A, they think that only the big bucks or bulls come from those big units or those hard to draw units. And then B, they don't, they don't do anything in between. And then they go out and it's like, they're learning how to hunt elk or deer on their premium tag. Dude, you are so right, right. there. That it's is like, exactly what happens. And and then and then and then don't don't even mention the amount of points that that the stress that that puts on guys. I've seen it, man. Like like it's not even a comfortable hunt. It's sure. like it's like you 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 finally drew your twenty point uh, elk tag again. This is just the example that I have. But you finally drew your twenty point elk tag in Utah. And it's a rifle tag and it's in the middle of the rut and they're supposed to be screaming and you have whatever they give you, eight or 10 or so days or whatever, 11 days or something. And the elk aren't talking and you don't know, and you don't know how to find a big bull when they're not just screaming and telling you where they're at. And all of a sudden it gets down to day four, five, six, and you don't know how to hunt elk because you haven't been hunting elk. You've just been assuming that this tag, they're going to fall in your life. It's just, it's a nasty little trap, man. So I... I really, you are so right, man. It's such a good point. Like there are, there are so many people sitting on so many points. Like, look what, like I feel bad. You know, I've been hunting Colorado for, no, oh, I don't know. It's been a long time. I go, I will get a tag in Colorado. I will beg, plead. I will do anything. I will get the worst tag. I have hunted the worst units in Colorado. <laughs> I'm going like, I will go regardless. And I know guys that have like never, like, they can't get, they can't draw. They got, they're sitting on 20 points, 20 plus points, some of them. And here you got CWD hitting Colorado. Colorado's changing their management style. And honestly, the heydays of Colorado were probably over. And these guys were like expecting, mm-hmm. well, I got 20 points. I'm going to get, you know, a monster buck. Well, that isn't the truth. Happened, like, things change Happened so to much. one of my good buddies at work. Exactly what you just said. He, he, uh, and, and trust me, this guy, this guy knows how to hunt deer. Like this guy knows how to hunt deer. Um, but on the, the specifically Colorado with mule deer, you got to watch those late third and fourth season tags, man, they will burn guys because they're, they're so weather dependent, right? Like they're yep. so weather dependent. And he had, I can't remember a pile, right? 17, 18, 19 points or something like that put in for a unit supposed to be a bomber unit and it probably is in the right on the right day in the right month in the right year and all that kind of stuff in the right storm uh went down it was i think it was relatively mild uh fall last fall and just just didn't get it you know just didn't happen and there's not much that you can do um other than what you can do and and he, it was just tough because he had so many points invested in it and and he's not at all the example that i'm talking about i mean this guy kills you know, he's, he'll, he'll keep killing big deer and he's killed deer before and he's going to keep killing them after. But just that one example, man, you're so right. Like just being, being, being careful about how much weight you put on those premium tags. Yep. And that's the norm, man. Like it's, it's common. I, I was in a third season unit. It's been 
a couple of years ago and it, it was a couple point unit, like no big deal to draw. Like for the third season I had, and these guys were camped down the road from me and I got talking to him i thought it was kind of interesting because i was seeing them out and about and man these guys did it right they came down when third season started like they were scouting during the entire third season and the interesting thing was i'm talking to them and i killed a buck a pretty good buck and i'm talking with them they're like yeah we got four season tags and man they told me the points they burned on it i was like wow like man i hope this hunt gets a lot better because it's been brutal and man, talking to those guys, they did everything right. Like everything right. They were down there working their guts out. And man, I gave them my number. We exchanged numbers and I ended up talking to them after the season and it got worse. And while we were down there, it actually got worse. Like it was good at first, but man, the weather turns. And so there they sat and burned. They could have been and hunted that same third season I had four times for what they burned yeah. on a fourth season, you know, and and like they said, that was the biggest mistake we've ever made. And I think a lot of guys think, well, if I have all these points, I'm guaranteed something. Well, honestly, the odds, I think you're better off to get good at hunting up spot on a regular basis and like just learn in the country and like, okay, the deer act this way, the deer do this. And that's kind of the way I look about it or go about it. It's a constant, it's a constant theme that I hear on the podcast, right? 70, 70 something episodes now. And if I was going to, if I was going to put down like the top three things that make someone a successful, especially mule deer, but anything hunter um, that I hear from guys like you who know how to get it done, it's, that's one of them is pin down a couple, two or three units that you just bounce, you know, maybe it's always the same year. Maybe it's this tag this year, that one, boom, 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 boom. And you're going back and forth between three units, but you're, you know, you're hunting them as frequently as you can. Um, Why do you think guys get caught bouncing from unit to unit so much? I think a lot of them are in search of, like the, I think it's that grass is always greener on the other side mentality. I think a lot of guys are so focused on, they're listening to, you know, whether it's a buddy or somebody they know went and killed this deer on, you know, in this unit. So they're like, Hey, we got to get over there. And then all of a sudden, next thing you know, they're getting told about this other unit and they're bouncing around and they're always chasing, looking like for this unicorn. I, and man, those general season units, every one of them I've ever been in, I've never been to a spot. Like I've never found one that's like, this is awesome. Like it's usually takes years and work and like, just, I mean, a ton of time in the summer, like, okay, the deer are doing this. And then the fall can come and your hunting seasons can get going and they change again over and over depending on where you are. I mean, but a lot of them, especially up further up north it just changes so much and i i think that's what it is is guys are just like looking for something that probably doesn't exist and and that's the thing i want to be careful too is like when i say i think there's a big buck in every unit like be but be realistic and i mean man i've went down to colorado and i've shot 160 inch bucks like or you know bucks that weren't that great because i know i'm not in a good spot but i felt like i'm taking the best buck that's there or at least at the top of the top tier but don't i guess don't get crazy you know and then the other thing i think that's interesting is i think guys could do a lot better hunting a little closer to home and what i mean by that 
not close to home, but man, I was such an idiot. I used to put in for archery units in Colorado and I'd drive all the way down there, try to scout. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, and I'm like, I'm passing how many good places on my way. I like <laughs> I could stop in Wyoming. I could go up into Idaho and be like, you know, three or four hours from my house, whatever. And I'm driving all the way to Colorado. And I'm like, so I think there's some of that stuff too. Like you got to kind of be efficient with your time. You know, we kind of had to finally, you know, not we, but just, just me. Um, I had to kind of put an unwritten rule on my applications and basically I could only apply for one new unit every year. And, and, That's and, smart thinking, and plan on hunting it. Right. I mean, you're always, there's might be some, you know, I'm, I'm still going to put in, in some of these States, New Mexico or something for some crazy tag that I've never been to, you know, and you roll with those punches obviously, but generally speaking tags that you're like, okay, if I apply, I'm going to get this, um, tried to limit it to one a year because those summer scouting trips are important and, yep. you know, and, and you don't want to be, man, two units for me, you know, some guys have a lot more time off or whatever your work situation is or whatever. But like for me, you know, one or one, at least one scouting trip a year was just a bare minimum as well. Um, because you just, yeah, it, it can overwhelm me real quick. Um, driving across the, the half the West and multiple hunts in multiple States and stuff like that. It's hard to really give the due diligence to each one. Dude, that's exactly right, man. And I look at it too. Like, so when you're going, I, I try to do the same thing. I'm very similar. Like, and I try to hunt the closer, like when scouting pays off and not the scouting late season, you know, but when scouting pays off, if you can be a little closer to home and try to do it more often, and man, that's, that's the other thing is that's, it's so important. Like the importance of scouting cannot be to me man, it's more important than the hunting season. It really is. If you want to get Randy, Randy Ulmer said something that stuck with me. Uh, that's exactly the point that you're making. Uh, once I think he's, he he said, I'm coining the phrase, but said something like if he was given 10 days to hunt and 10 days only between scouting and hunting and the whole year, he would scout for nine and hunt one. (laughs) Dude, he is exactly right. And I would do the exact same thing. I am right there with him. Like, I would probably give myself a couple. I'd probably go like seven and three. <laughs> and seeing honestly, if I, I really feel like if it was an early season, huh? Like before um, September or sooner, I would do the nine and one. I really would too. I, uh, that's how important I think it is. So. Well, and that, that, that's actually, uh, there's an interesting thing that he said too, is he said, I think that guys also make the mistake of, you know, let's say that you have, I don't know, two weeks off during the year and guys might break up, you know, and, and, and as I say this, I'm thinking about the days I've already taken off a plan to take off for work this year. And this is exactly what I'm doing and I probably should change it. But, um, he's like, guys, they'll, they'll schedule out say five days for their hunt when they're going to be there and they're going to show up the day before the hunt starts. Well, and then, and then back up to the summer, they're going to, they decide to take, you know, two four day weekends throughout the summer and they're going to make these two trips and and they're going to scout and that's going to tell them what they need to know. And then they're going to show up, you know, especially in my younger days, man, I would show up. It was one of those you'd work till, you know, four 30 on Friday, the hunt opened 
Saturday sometimes uh, in Utah usually, we would drive from 5 until whatever, 10 o'clock. We would show up <laughs> yep. at the trailhead, right? The, the night before the hunt, we would hi- literally hike <laughs> yep. in all night. Stupid. Like, hike in all night, get two hours of sleep, wake up, and then just like wake up and open your eyes and just hope that everything was how you left it. And, and Omer was like, man, if you just take three or four of those vacation days for your scouting and put them right before your hunt. And it was like, Oh yeah, duh. Like, why didn't I think of that? You know, you just like show up three or four days and that. And so that's kind of what I start doing now is like, man, it's just, I just assume that the hunt opens, you know, three days before it does. And I'm going to, a, I'm going to show up and I'm going to, you know, put myself in a situation where I can take care of my body getting in there and I don't have to, you know, sleep deprive myself. Cause if you don't have to do that, you're going to have a better hunt and you take care of yourself. If, if we're assuming a backcountry deal, at least for um, sure. And then, and then it's like any scouting you do for those couple of days, it's like, man, you got them pegged. You know, you wake up opening morning and you've been scouting them for two days and that buck's been in the same, you know, he's been in the same routine for two days. Like he's smoked, but yep makes a big difference man and i think the other thing is too is i think a lot of guys don't man learning like a a trip as simple as and one of my favorite things to do like i'll get these colorado like i can't be picky in colorado nobody really can and so sometimes i don't really know what unit i'm gonna have to put in for like a crappy unit that i haven't been to man i like this last year um me and Robbie, Danny, we put in for a unit. I mean, it was just, it was horrible. It really was, it wasn't a good hunt. I mean, as far as like a good tag or anything, but man, I just buzzed down there. Uh, I just went down in July and I like, I told a couple friends that I was going down there and they're like, well, wait, isn't your hunt in November? And I'm like, yeah. But the thing is, is like, if you can buzz down there and at least for me, and I'm not, maybe I'm not very good at, uh like trying to run google earth and figure it out but man if i can go down there and i can buzz the roads even if it's as simple as just buzzing the roads like okay this looks like winter range okay i got an access here oh we could camp over here and like oh there's some road access here and try to learn all that stuff and then when you show up and so what that's what i did is we go down there we get all this hammered out and then we show up a few days early i think we showed up man i think we were there I think we got there three days early, man. We had basically took that unit, segregated out where we didn't think there was going to be any deer. There was snow. And then you can just kind of start going through a process of elimination and trying to start. So if you do it smart and think about it, where you're scouting, you can scout so much more efficiently than, you know, and one thing I have a hard time with, I don't know, Dustin, I get burned out and I'll be the first to admit, like if I'm spending like, man, if I had a two week vacation, I can't go and dump. I, I used to, I'll be honest. I used to be able to go in. I, I did a one, I think I did 30 days in the Wyoming back country straight. I think I come out one day, dude. And like looking back at dude, it, it scarred me. I can hardly even sleep in a pup tent anymore. But (laughs) the thing is, is like, if I can go in and, just break it up a little bit too and just try to work, you know, take a weekend, buzz down, look at it, just stuff like that. And then when you get on Google earth, you're so much more efficient because you kind of get that feeling. And I think a lot of guys could really, they could do better because man, you spend 14 days on a unit or like an entire season. I can do it. 
but man, it gets tough. And so if you can break them scouting days up a little bit, I think that can really help guys too. You said something there about checking Google earth after you've been in the unit and man, what a valuable tidbit there. Um, you know, a, it never looks the same as what you thought it looked like during the spring, you know, when you're sitting at work, uh, you know, or wherever, not work. I mean, who would, who would scout on the computer during work, right? That, that's not what I meant. Uh, on we the weekend. Yeah. On a Saturday. Um, but no, and then, and then man, it's, it's one of my, it's one of my little tricks that I've mentioned before um, places that we've killed bucks, you know, and this could apply to scouting or actually a hunt, but coming home right after you've Cause man, you just have a feel of that country and you know, every little nook and cranny when you've been, you know, kind of in the back country or, or not even in the back yes. country, just, yep. just pounding a, you know, two to four square mile area that we usually do when we hunt or whatever. And then you come home and you, you jump on Google earth and reverse scout a, a unit. Right. Uh, that's a good tip, man. That is spot right? on. Because that's exactly what I what, do. What we realize is like, we killed these two bucks in Wyoming and when we were in there, um, the basin that they were holed up in, and these, this was like towards the right at the end of September, right after a good snowstorm. I mean, perfect conditions, but these two bucks were just in this super small little secluded basin. And in person, it was like, well, yeah, duh. Like this is a pretty good sized basin. It's plenty big for two bucks to hang out in here. Literally the rest of the, the, the fall up until, you know, November, whatever, when they take off, like no question. But then I, I just came home and I had been like just cruising Google Earth. I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm going to go to that place where we killed those bucks. And I scroll down, scroll down, scroll down. And I hit it and I'm like, that can't be it. And I'm like, you know, and I'm like back out and I'm kind of looking around, orienting myself. I'm like, okay, there's that peak. Okay, there's this trail. There's that. And I'm like, that's it. Like, yep. what in the And it all of a sudden the light bulb went off like, oh, it looks like what I see on Google earth of what a buck needs to survive in or, or hole up in, so to speak. Holy cow. That just changed my whole entire scouting perspective of what I look for on these Google earth scouting trips. So reverse scouting a unit after you've scouted it or been in it in person, man, that's, that's valuable. It's so valuable, man. And that's like my, that's a very good point and so if i'm going out scouting like maybe i'm taking my mules and i'm riding you know backcountry trails and i'm looking for you know glassing points and okay how can i work this country and man you start getting that feel for it and then like you said you come home and maybe you know you get on google earth and you can start or on x whatever but you can kind of start looking okay so i could glass this point from here maybe i go down here a little bit oh there's another high point i can look at this you know and man just getting that feel like oh you can access that that trailhead yeah i can get my horse trailer there or you know maybe oh yeah that trail will buzz me up into here maybe i take a you know jump a ridge here and just man just Um, looking at it it can save you so much time and effort and then scouting on like a Google Earth or Onyx, man, that's a, it's that's it's an important way for me to go about it. I know that it, yeah, it's helped me a bunch. Yeah, um, perspective of of little bowls and basins from the from the main trails because a lot of times, and I'm just thinking this through as you're as you're talking about that of like where these trails go and stuff. And a lot of times on Google Earth, I'll discredit a spot 
that I think would be a spot that might hold some bucks because I, on Google earth, it looks like I can see straight down to the bottom of the basin and there's a main trail, right? Colorado's yep. infamous for this, right? Yep. There's, there's freaking hiking trails everywhere. Every single bottom of every basin has one. And, and I'll discredit this little, this little backside basin because it, on Google earth, it appears to be right in line with that trail. Well, in reality, you get up in there and you look at it in person and it's like, oh, I mean, this is a three quarter mile from that trail and completely out of sight because there's yes. a, there's a little swell in the ridge going down off that you can't even see on Google. Right. And then it's like, yeah, I think that's going to be my next tactic. Um, and you just kind of put that in my head of like where this trail goes and then relative to these little side basins and start reverse scouting those too. Dude, it's so important. And man, you get into some of that stuff. And, you know, whether you're maybe looking at road systems or trail systems, you know, I've been, it's funny, I've been into some places I've never been before and I take my mules in there and I'm like, oh, can I get down this road? I got my trailer on. And then, you know, you figure it out and, oh, yeah, I can get back here. And you're like, man, how big is this trail? Because a lot of times you look on trail maps and they're, you know, they just say, well, there's a horse trail here. And I'm thinking, okay, well, how many people are going to be on this? And then all of a sudden that trail turns into like a goat trail. And you can tell that it hasn't been cut open in years and you're bushwhacking to get through there. I'm like, okay, this starts to interest me where I might've totally wrote that off. If I was looking on Google earth or Onyx, because I'm like, oh, there's a horse trail there. There's going to be guys all over. And sometimes, you know, it can be, it just can surprise you. So when you go out and, you know, drive down, or maybe there's a road and it says it's a truck road and you're like, okay. And you're going down it and you kind of wrote some stuff off next to the road. Then all of a sudden you're going down that road and you realize you should have brought a four wheeler or I need, I can't even get my truck down this man. What a freak. And that's a big deal. Yep. Um, how much better, well, you might not know this, but you mentioned not being able to get your mules and stuff there. So explain just how much better llamas are than pack horses and pack mules. <laughs> Man, I think I can, I think I can get my mule about anywhere. It's just whether or not I can ride her in there. <laughs> She'll go about anywhere I point her, but it's, sometimes it's that uh, me staying on and not getting freaking ripped off by some thick trees or something like that. <laughs> but I can, I'll read her too. I'm not proud. I'll freaking walk. Yeah. So. <laughs> uh, we'll, we'll get a llama in your hands one of, <laughs> one of these years. You'll, you'll see the light. <laughs> no, man. What's funny is I, I honestly thought I, I really have kicked it around. Like there's some places that really would be pretty handy. And, you know, stock. It's one of them things. Um, I really, the cool thing is about stock. And like one thing that I think is funny is a lot of guys look at stock and they're thinking, wall tents and all this heavy old stuff well man you implement like backcountry backpacking gear in conjunction with like man i can lead i can be pretty set up and be very comfortable for days with just leading one like i have a riding mule and a pack mule and man i can be i mean it's pretty nice taken it makes a big difference it'll i i love backpack hunting i'll do it if i have to and if i find a big buck like i'll do whatever it takes but it's pretty nice to be comfortable you're you hunt harder makes a big difference for me 
Yeah, and I'll, I mean, I'll be the first to admit, right, that, uh, you know, like this last year up here in Wyoming, um, some of this country west of Cody, you realize real quick that, you know, well, first of all, I was just doing these little day, the, not not little day hunts, but I was just doing these day hunts or like a weekend hunt or whatever, and to really be effective in some of that country to get back where those bulls are, um, man, you had to put on some miles and you know not that this it just would have been more efficient to load up a horse for the morning and drop him and and cover 20 miles instead of you know three and a half miles or whatever um for sure working some country real slow on foot and you know and glassing and stuff like that and you could have got back into the good stuff um, and not killed yourself but so i'll i'll admit man there is some country and some situations where you know, no doubt a, a pack animal that you can ride is a, would be a benefit, but. Well, for sure. But even just taking a few pounds off your back too, it makes a yeah. big difference, man. Like yeah, that's the thing is if you can take a little more creature comforts, like I said that when I did, man, I did that 30 days, that was rough, man. I, it stained, I was after this big old buck and man, that was back in the day, like a badland sacrifice holy shit dude as things changed that was miserable man i look back that pack was the most uncomfortable thing i've ever had in my life and what it weighed y'all dude i don't know how i survived i was, I was way tougher a few years ago that's for sure <laughs> <laughs> um real quick you you hunted you mentioned that hunt with robbie and i think that'll be a good um you know just kind of button this thing up because man he he's just a wealth of knowledge and i've had the opportunity of hunting with guys that i feel like are on his same level uh, before like you know the mark smiths and the south cox and or, or not i haven't hunted with south cox sorry um but i've i've uh you know the mark smiths and stuff like that but um guys that just they just do it differently you know and and i'm just curious what what you learned or what you saw hunting with Robbie from his experience, um, that, that surprised you or that taught you something. Dude, one thing about Robbie, man, when Avery calls him the legend, dude, it's so true. He is a legend, man. Like the things that that guy does, Robbie is a family man and Robbie is a common man. Like he's not, you know, buying these high end tag, doing all this crazy stuff. But man, that guy, he is very good. Um, he's just not scared to get in and hunt some tight stuff. I mean, the cool thing is, dude, he gets after it, man. He's out there pounding, looking for tracks, you know, doing everything that a big buck hunter should do. And Robbie is very good um, as far as like his horse, man. He drug his horse all the way down to Colorado. We had no idea for sure if we were going to need it, but man, it put him in some spots that was just awesome. You know, it put him in some great country that, um, as far as hiking in there, you know, it would have been, it would have been rough and Robbie gets in there. He's not afraid to hunt the thick stuff. Um, it's awesome, man. He's, it's obvious why his success has been what it is. I mean, and as, it's cool that he is so good about sharing information and like, man, one thing people ought to really check out is his videos he's done on some of these hunts, man, there are so many little tidbits of like gold information in there. That's so valuable. And like for him just to do that 
and put it all out there. You know, he wrote the book. His book's awesome. If you if you don't have his book and you're wanting to be a deer hunter, you're it's a great book. Yeah, must and like must when have. I read, yeah, and when I read through his book and stuff, and you know the funny thing was when I first read through it, I'm like this guy, like dude, a lot of things that I'm, I couldn't agree more on. And yeah, he's just, he's an awesome guy. And it's pretty cool that he shares so much information. There's a lot of people. Um, I've probably been guilty of this. I don't want to talk much. I don't want to say anything. And Robbie's really cool to help guys out. And he'll talk to anybody, you know, just like, and he's not too good to talk to anybody. He's just a really good guy. So yeah, people, he's an awesome guy. They don't come much better. That's for sure. Yeah. Love it. Uh, yeah, his, his book, um, I think he's pretty, is he pretty active on rock slide? I don't, I can't say. Yeah, that. for sure. Yeah, yeah he is. Pretty, yep. Pretty, and I think pretty active blog, on there. Yep. And his blog, I think he's posting, you know, quite a bit, dude, some just really good information, like all the time. And he really goes out of his way and like those videos, serious Jordan, she, she's, she does an awesome job. Yeah. She videoed some of them for him. I think that's two she's done for him and man, she does an awesome job. Robbie did one of himself in nevada and you know we didn't get any kill shots on that collar jordan left before i killed my buck in colorado this year but just the wisdom in that and like what robbie shared dude it's it's awesome and he go, really goes out of his way to try to teach people and not just tell a story but really try to teach people my hat's off to him for that it's pretty cool yeah yeah for sure um what would you say are your top three if you let, let's let's do two categories let's say let's say like your your top three states that you're going to apply for mule deer, this is kind of a mule deer theme so top three mule deer states for opportunity and top three mule deer states for trophy hunts so for opportunity for me and they might really, they could obviously be the same so uh, for opportunity for me i look the three states would be colorado um for sure wyoming for sure there's a lot more opportunity than people think about in wyoming um i won't really get into that but there is a lot of opportunity that people overlook um and then idaho obviously idaho's changed a little bit uh, as far as opportunity especially for non-residents but it's still very opportunity like there's so much opportunity um the trophy state i would have to say nevada um obviously there's really no guarantees on a tag there um arizona there's a lot of opportunity though in Arizona, but there's some, you know, the high end mule deer stuff. It's definitely a trophy type state. And I kind of applied in Arizona. It's one of the only states I really build points in. And then um, I'd probably say Utah too. Utah is kind of, you know, there's a lot of uh, opportunity in Utah, especially on the general season. And if you really look, one of the funny things about Utah is it's probably the best bucks. You don't know where they come off of. They don't come off the big three units a lot of them come off general season stuff so yeah. Uh, yeah um but there is some trophy quality there that's really good and it's really come up especially lately but nevada arizona that, those are probably the two i would and utah's up there too but utah kind of a combination there and like arizona the archery over the counter down there it's changed a lot since i started hunting over the counter archery in arizona it's changed a bunch but 
there's still a lot of opportunity and guys are still getting it done on some really on quality animals and do it every year. So that's, that's really pretty cool place. Yeah. My brother, uh, if you don't follow him, he, uh, he went down, uh, December of 2020 and put a over the counter archery tag in his pocket in Arizona, uh, tipped a buck over maybe like the uh, last week of the year, maybe a week, week before the year ended or so. Uh-huh. And then turned right back around, went back down there, and within another like two weeks, he had his uh 2021 tag filled on another. Dude, good so, for him. That's yeah. to dude. That's saying a lot. Yeah, and they were, you know, they're both they, they were both respectable bucks. You know, uh, I don't, I can't remember really what even class they would score. I mean, they they weren't you know 130 inch deer or anything like that. So, um. Yeah, just just proves that you know there really is a lot of opportunity out there if guys will just um, put in a little bit of work, a little bit of common sense, and just kind of get after it. You know, um, and we're so we're living in. I, I've said it for a number of years. Like I really feel like I will look back at this time and think how great we had it. It is changing so much and getting so much harder. I look at some of the states, you know, Wyoming. And I look at that and like how much harder it's gotten to get some tags and like on the Western end and Idaho. I mean, man, if you would have told me 10 years ago that non you couldn't have went up and just bought a tag before season started, mm-hmm. I'd have thought you were crazy. I mean, I could have bought two of them just a few years ago. I could have bought two general season deer tags yeah, as a I, non-resident Idaho. This year, how I, much of that this year I had to dog fight, you know, on some online line, yeah. you know, <laughs> to get in there and get my tag. That, that, that's actually my last question for you. So, uh, at, at the moment I have a, I, an Idaho tag, uh, that's a rifle tag. That's just like the 10th through the 24th of October or whatever. Yep. Um, you know, you, you'd mentioned earlier hunting bucks during that time frame is extremely difficult, obviously. The uh, hardest I think. Yeah. Yep. For sure. So maybe part part some words of wisdom of how you would go about or how I should go about, um, you know, I know how we did that growing up um, down in that country, but it's just it's different when you're down in the in the in the low country. Well, it's not. It's 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 really not. It's just a little different terrain. But maybe just just uh, wrap up with kind of how how you'd go about that because that's one of the harder, like you said, one of one of if not the hardest time to kill a big buck. So I'm a big glasser guy, man. That's my thing. I'm a glass, glass, glass. I glass. That's honestly, I, I, that's my tactic. I'll be honest. Like, that's what I do. But like in that country and that time of year, I feel like a lot of them deer, that's transition period too. A lot of them are heading down, like getting into that thicker stuff. So it's hunting that broken stuff. And man, I really, depending on where you are, but like jumping into some of the quakey type, the, you know, finger ridges coming off, you know, higher points. And then really, if it snows, man, be there and take advantage of that snow yeah. because then you can get in and attack some of that thick stuff that's super hard, whether it be tracking and dude, and a lot of times deer just on their feet a little more, but that time of year, I'm still glassing a bunch. Um, I would definitely, I still think there's some value in scouting. And like we talked about with the roads, that's kind of my thing, but our uh, like getting in there and glassing or learning those road systems and good points to glass from. And then looking at some of that country, 
it's not kind of that mid-range elevation stuff that like the quakey conifer that transition i'm a big transition like i like those transition areas that's what i would do so if a guy and and you you already answered this with what i think is the best answer and and uh, what i mean by that is is what what part of the season would you if you had one week that you had to set aside for your vacation right now for a 10th through the 24th hunt. Um, obviously I think the best answer is if, if you could be flexible and wait and see what the weather does and show up immediately after, you know, three days, the three days following a storm, but let's say you had to put your vacation in now. Are you trying last to, week, the last week you wouldn't, you yep, wouldn't try to go 10th and go up high and nope. try to get them. Yeah. Nope. I would totally write it off because man, one thing, it's kind of like, uh, that Wyoming, like those openers, when you have the general public and on general season stuff, I'm a big firm believer and like that, let that pressure develop, let it leave. It's so funny how crazy the opener is in Idaho. And then come that second weekend, I have, it has blown my mind for years, how much quieter it gets. And I really think the animals go back to acting more like they did, you know. Oh, I, if you if you've ever, that. yeah, if you've ever spent time, you know, a, a substantial, continuous amount of time on a hunt, and you've kind of been on the mountain, so to speak, yep. when when that transition takes place of guys bombing in there for the first weekend or the first three or four days or five days or whatever, and then and then leaving and and all the like. I mean, it, like you said, it takes like two days, three days of yep. things getting back to normal. And all of a sudden the deer are right back to, they're just living their life again. Like, okay, like that's, that's completely over with, you know, that weekend blitz yep. is gone or whatever. Um, and the only exception I would have to that is if I had a big buck found, like I knew where he was, you know what I mean? Then I would probably try to attack him the first day. Like really? if I knew, yeah. you know, where he was, but if I was just going in blind, it'd be the last week for sure. Love it, man. Well, sure. Appreciate you jumping on. Yeah, dude. It was well, awesome. uh, so hopefully there's some no, bits of information in there. Well, and I, I feel like there was 10 rabbit holes that I, uh, was restraining myself from going down and so i mean it'll be next time we'll we could get into um you know more into the pack mules uh optics i mean you just yeah it'd you be know, awesome just so so many things that we could go into and so i just appreciate you being being back on for my my what are we calling this my uh re-inaugural episode as if it was like yeah dude i hope it i hope it helps them guys and i hope they yeah enjoy it man i enjoy doing it so it's cool man i yeah. appreciate you having me perfect well appreciate it travis you're you're the man uh follow travis on instagram what's what's your uh do you you want people following you <laughs> <laughs> i i don't care that's fine i had to delete it for a while but it's back up and i've been pretty active lately <laughs> just but anyways it's yeah. natural born hunter so yeah hey, we didn't say the t word one single time that's yeah we did we did good right everyone's (laughs) gonna click on this thinking that they're gonna hear some you know political (laughs) agenda me ranting about baiting in utah yeah and i'm not (laughs) even gonna (laughs) oh man what a what a mess you know we always Uh, find something in the off season especially covid you know because it's just for sure the world's different and i feel like 
man, if we could just all take a step back and try to recalibrate, um, for sure the, the things that, and, and I was right there with you, man. I, I posted, you know, you and I were feeding off each other meme, <laughs> <laughs> memes back and yeah. forth. Um, you know, and at the end of the day, it's really, it's not just fun and games. I'll, I'll be honest. I mean, there's some real stuff, you know, that's going on, but you know, you just try to keep it light and remember that, um, you know, there's other people on the other end of those posts and those phone, you know, those memes and the comments, For sure. and, you know, and we all try to just be a little bit, a little bit more considerate, I guess, you know, and just yeah. everything will be good, man. Yeah. So, at the end of the day, we're all humans. And yeah, yeah. So. Well, cool, man. We'll be, uh, we'll be following along and, uh, good luck in the draws and stuff this year. Hey, you too, bud. Appreciate cool. it. Okay. Have a good one. Hey everybody, thank you for listening to the Finding Backcountry podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure you subscribe and mention it to your friends. But the best thing you can do, leave a rating on iTunes or your favorite podcast platform. For notes and links to this and other episodes, please visit findingbackcountry.com.